Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Good morning, everyone. Um, Welcome to Revolution. Hope you all had a good week. I am, uh, uh, just got back from California yesterday. Um, uh, the original plan was to, um, we were going to do another conversation with Mr. Rollins, but, um, we had had a long week. Uh, working out in California and uh, I was just exhausted every we were all just exhausted and I'm not wasn't feeling great so we just decided to I decided to come home early um, so you just got me today sorry <laughs> um, hope you're all doing well a lot of great things are happening with the project we've been working on so um, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, don't know if you guys heard, they're doing a, uh, Elton John's doing a musical about my mom. I guess it's going to be in, in uh, the UK. It's going to be shown in the, the musical will be in the UK, which is really wild. I haven't talked to any of those folks yet, but maybe I'll get to meet Elton John from it, hopefully. Um, that would be cool. But I've been working with a lot of people. Um, people from my past, way, way past as well. And that's been uh, interesting and a bit of like working out your demons, kind of living, living the past, bringing the past out and, and kind of uh, therapeutic, I guess. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Um, yeah, so we're going to get started here in a second. I was just trying to think of anything else. Um, but yeah. I hope you're all doing well out there, and uh, life keeps moving, man. Staying busy. Glad to be staying busy. Um, but today, uh, I want—it's I, it's strange because I was actually working on this talk that I'm going to do today uh, last week. But then last week, I kind of when we when we did the talk uh, about the Pharisees praying at you know thanking God they weren't like the horrible sinners. Um, that kind of came to me, so I decided, like, oh, I'll just put this talk in the back burner. Now, it's not a talk that I haven't done before. I mean, I've talked about the prodigal son, which we're going to, you know, talk about a little bit today. Um, but I think it's kind of connected to the idea of, you know, continuing the, the how do we have tough conversations, how do we listen well, and um, scapegoating and, and all that stuff that we continue to, to work through and talk about and move forward with and, 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 and kind of try to challenge ourselves in, the, you know, as people who follow Christianity, followers of Christ, like what does that look like and how do we kind of reclaim 
Christianity? How do we reclaim being followers of Christ and, and what the Bible says? How do we continue to apply that to our life in a, uh, in a way that allows us to have life before death, allows us to live well, um, allows us to love others, allows us to love our enemies, and, uh, and, and do that in a, a graceful way? And, and, and what, what does that look like? And so that's just continually where we're going to be going because I think that's hopefully where the future is with how separate we can be. Um, so basically, we'll be going through Luke 15. One of the things I kind of like about Luke 15, though, is that it doesn't just go through 15. I mean, it continues to go through 16. And, and, and you know, maybe we'll do the second part. Uh next week, because I think 16 is really interesting as well, um, because Jesus really is trying to communicate with the religious leaders at the time, and really trying to get through to them, and trying to uh, help them understand the importance of loving others, and loving the other, and not othering others. <laughs> and this seems to be the foundation, of course, that Paul also builds on. So let's look at that. Um, Boom, Luke, Luke 15, uh, 1 says, uh, Now all, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and even eats with them. Now we talked about this last week and how Matthew, when Jesus calls Matthew in the midst of tax collecting, he says, you know, come be my disciple. So we have this kind of like, you know, the, 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 this, this idea that Jesus is always with the wrong crowd. Always hanging out with people that the others disapprove of. And, and, and the big dig for, you know, for the Pharisees is, is that he's sharing a meal with them. That he's, you know, uh, you know, taking, you know having communion with them. He's communing with them. He's building a covenant with these folks. And so that's a, uh, you know, a big no-no to them because they're saying, you know, you're unclean if you're, if you're sitting with these people, if you're dining with these people, you know, you're saying that these people are more than just, you know, the other. You're saying that, you know, these people are part of your life, that there's a covenant to be built with them. You're, you're sitting down and sharing a meal, which was something that was, was very uh, sacred. Uh, at that time. And so Jesus sits down and, and he, he hears them. And this time he doesn't just give them a little sentence like he does at Matthew's house. This time he tells a few parables and then actually in 16 starts to talk to them directly. We won't go all the way to 16 because uh, just for time's sake. Um, so he, he, he tells them this parable. He goes, which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on its shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need repentance. Sorry, the got a froze there for a second. I got to plug. 
charger, I almost forgot. There we go. And so, Jesus says, leave the 99 for the one. Who wouldn't do that? You know, and he said, of course you would do that. You would leave all the 99 for the one. Now, I, I would probably be like, hey, I've got 99 problems, and so that's not one. I'll just let it go. <laughs> I can live with the 99. Um, but the interesting part here is that Jesus, when Jesus says at the end, he goes, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, this idea of repentance, I think, for me growing up, repentance was like this bad word. You know, it was something that you saw street preachers yelling at other people like, repent, repent, you know. Um, and so to me, I think I always imagined repentance being like this, you know, laying down on my face, begging God to forgive me um, type of thing, you know. And that's not really what repentance is, you know. Repentance is not that. And that's what I thought it was. And I thought it was like the altar call. And, you know, but repentance is, is a turn or a change of mind. Now, I guess, depending on your theology and how you grew up, you're going to see repentance in, in maybe some, some different ways. But for me, it was this idea of when I, I grasped it, it was a turning. It's a change of mind. So repentance can be just something as saying that, you know, I saw my enemy as someone who needed to be destroyed, but now I see my enemy as someone who needs to be loved, someone who needs to be forgiven. I see a relationship that needs to be restored, um, you know, where there's forgiveness is needed. It, it also really covers the concept of grace. And as we've talked about before, like grace is anarchy. You know, grace is, is this, 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 this thing that moves out of any system that tells us how to act or what to do. It, it doesn't always make sense. Um, you know, like, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly what's going on with all the, the, the school debt forgiveness, but I've seen a lot of memes about the, the debt forgiveness and all that stuff. And some people saying it's unfair, blah, 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 and whatever. And, um, but the idea of grace is, is that forgiveness, you know, when something's forgiven, it's not always fair. It doesn't seem fair when, when grace is involved. Um, and a sheep wandering off in a celebration, you know, the sheep want, sheep's wander. That's what they do. That's just, that's new human nature. That's human nature. That's sheep nature. Wake up, sheeple. Um, <laughs> it, it's their nature. But still, he rejoices when they come back. So even when we rejoice when people are even within their nature, running off, but also when they change their mind, when they see something new, when they have new information. I think that's what was very interesting about Dr. King always saying that, that he felt that his enemies... Uh, weren't his enemies, but that, that they were, in fact, victims of misinformation. And what they needed to do is repent. They needed to change of mind. They needed a change of direction. And so, uh, and what I think is really amazing here is that, you know, Jesus is saying, you could have like 200 people who are on the same page. You know, you have your 99 people who are on the same page as you, you know, and they, they all have it together. But what was really important is that we're able to continue to talk to the other and, and help them and help them think differently and see things differently, allowing them to know maybe they're loved and that they are accepted. I, I mean, I've always felt that, that was my mission is to let people know they're loved and accepted. So 
you know, if I'm around 99 people who feel loved and accepted, but there's one who doesn't, you know, that's the person we've got to reach out to and, and show grace to. Um, you know, uh, you know, 99 people who agree with me and like what I do, you know, but there's that one who disagrees, you know, it's like, well, then we've got to get together and learn to have tougher conversation and argue well. Um, so you, and I, I think you've got to pay attention to this story too, is, is how, how these, the animal and the coin and the, and the sun all, uh, go away. They all seem to leave. There's no uh, chasing, there's no chasing the sheep away. There was no, uh, you know, throwing the coin away. There's no, which we'll get to in a second. You know, there was, the, the prodigal wasn't kicked out of the house, you know. Um, so, so Jesus goes on and says another, says another parable. He goes, or what, a, what if a woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one of them, does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so this one person who, who gets the right, you know, there, there's more, this one person who turns, who changes, who, who's able to see things clear, who's able to see grace, who's able to see love, who's able to feel accepted. Because look at what Jesus is doing in this moment as he's telling these stories, is he's sitting with people that feel rejected, feel like they don't belong. They're outcasts. You know, they're not just sinners, they're notorious sinners. You know, they're tax collectors who are traitors to their own society. You know, they're prostitutes who are seen as completely unclean. And this is who Jesus is spending time with. You know, so what is the repentance here? Is the repentance that they stop doing what they're doing? Maybe. But also is the repentance of them knowing that they're fully human, that they're fully accepted and they're fully loved. You know, I think that's the point. Um, I think the point is saying, my very presence here speaks loudly. Me sharing a meal with them speaks very loudly. So this is what's accomplishing. And he's showing us with this coin is that a coin is just this object. It's not a person who can, or an animal who can wander off or get lost. It's something that we can lose in our daily life and just lose, you know, it's, not an, it's an object not looking to come back, not looking to be restored, not looking to run away, not looking to rebel on any purpose. There's no motive there, but you still seek out that coin. That coin is still sought out until it's found, you know, and that often happens in our, in our lives. So I think what this shows us is the importance of people, the importance of the other, you know, and it's funny for a lot of us who we're a part of revolution, you know, the other isn't just the poor person on the street uh, because often those that we feel very more, con more connected to them than we do to other people. So often for us, our, the other, especially in this country, in this climate, is our enemies, is uh, political differences um, or religious differences. And there's this... 
and I find it in my own life is often is that I want to just like do this like live and let live kind of thing. You know, well, you know, that's their thing and they want to have a really conservative angry church or they want to believe this and and do that or you know, but what happens is the point is where where that gets out of hand and we see things like families kicking their kids out because they're LGBTQ. Um, people using religion to hurt other people. Um, or the other opposite, you see, you know, liberal folks saying, well, I'm not going to talk to my parents anymore because they're uh, conservatives and they don't like the, the you know, they, they, they have different politics than me and they don't understand that my politics are the politics of love and blah, blah, blah. And so we just go, well, we're going to just cast them out, live, let, live. And Jesus is going, well, I, it's not that easy. Um, you should be hanging out with the wrong crowd, which I was told not to a lot in church. But Jesus said, you should be building bridges. You should be hanging out with the wrong crowd. You should be questioned by the company you keep. And the idea is when you are questioned about the company you keep, you're able to say, you know, this is, this is about ideas. This is about changing ideas and process. And it might even be about me changing my own ideas. I mean, to flip it on its head and take it back, it might even be for us to learn repentance. You know, it might even be for us to be the Pharisee and say, okay, well, I'll sit down with you all and talk and see what's going on here. And maybe we learn something, you know. Um, you know, we, we, we want to black and white it, you know, and, and have, you know, this, this binary thinking. Um, but I feel like if we continue to read in the scriptures and read different stories, and even when we look into the prodigal son, we see this dialectic that takes place, you know, where two things can be, right? Like, you know, in these stories. So, um, so I think it's interesting if we, if we look at the nature of, you know, it's an animal's nature to wander off, look around, do its thing, you know. Um, it's just human nature, I think, is what Jesus is saying. And then the coin with this is, that was lost by a person. Sometimes we just lose touch with people and others, you know? And so what I like about the idea of Jesus's message is often the idea, and Paul's message as well, is it's really about the hope of reconciliation, you know? It's not the idea that we'll just separate ourselves from this group and let them be and then we'll just go over here and be, and we'll just, you know, silently just disagree. You know, this is where the disagreeing well comes into is because he's saying, you seek out. You seek out, and you seek out that change. And you seek out that difference. So um, it's, it's really, 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 really tough, you know? Um, now, I, I will say this as someone who is, is not in communication with their father. And, and it's more my father not wanting to talk to me, and I, I don't know really the, the, the major ins and outs, but I have the feeling that he feels my theology is different and maybe off in his mind. Um, and I had to make my own decision there um, to not stop reaching out. I mean, so I sent a text two or three days ago, you know? Um, and I made it clear, I said, I'm here, the door is open if you want to come back. And I think that's a lot of times what we, we do is we say, well, I'm closing the door on this relationship, or I'm closing this door on these folks. And maybe the best we can do, or at least the least we can do, 
as followers of Christianity, um, subscribers to these ideals, is say, all right, you don't want to be here, but my door is open. Your door may be closed across the street, but my door is always open. And you can come back. And I think the prodigal son gives us a really good example of that leaving the door open and, and what that looks like. Um, because in the, first, in the first two stories, what you see in the first two parables is, is seeking out. You know, you, you see the shepherd seeking out the lost sheep. You see the woman seeking out the lost coin, lighting the lamp, looking in every nook and cranny to find that, that lost coin. And, um, and, and here in this next parable, we see a different story. So let's look at that for a moment. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had traveled and traveled to a distant land. And there he squandered his property in desolate living. Now here's another interesting part is about this this ideal that, um, you know, you've got this son and his father's wealthy. And basically he's saying to his father, I don't want to be under your leadership anymore. I don't want to be your son anymore. Uh, I kind of wish you were dead. So if you would just give me your property, and you know, give me what's mine. Give me my inheritance now. It's like, you know, you're going to your some family member saying like, not only do I not want anything to do with you, but um, if I'm in the will, could you just give me what's ever in the will now and we'll just pretend like you're dead. I'll go on. I'll live my life. You stay and you live your own life. So, I mean, often, I mean, that seems insane, right? And, and at the time Jesus was telling this story, it was insane because you didn't bring shame to your family. Often when you brought shame, especially to a wealthy family in, 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 in this time and in this culture uh, 2,000 years ago, you know, that family member would literally be tied up and beaten in the street and made an example of, of how horrible they were. And uh, I think a lot of us wish we could just say, like, hey, you know, my parents drive me crazy. Wouldn't it be great if I could also get an inheritance and then just we could just agree not to ever talk again? And um, Jesus is telling us clearly that that's not the best idea. And so... So obviously there must have been obviously property sold because it keeps saying the word property. So he gives them the property. He gives them the money. He gives them his inheritance. And uh, the son goes and, and uses it all. You know, they get this, 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 this best of what some people would say the best of, of both worlds. Um, when he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country and he began to be in need. So he went to hire himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to eat and despair, and I'm dying here of hunger? And then so he starts to make this plan of maybe I'm just going to go back to dad, bed for forgiveness, and become an employee. <laughs> and so a type of repentance is happening here, but it's not a repentance that's happening out of like, had he 
you know, invested his money well, had he invested his inheritance well. It's not like this, like, you know, um, oh, I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and personal Savior. You know, it's not like, you know, it's not like this idea. It's like, oh, my gosh, I really screwed up. Maybe my dad will let me, like, work for him if I beg for forgiveness because my life is falling apart. You see what I'm saying? So it's not the idea of like, well, you know, maybe we can argue well, maybe we can learn to live together. You know, you know, it's just maybe he'll, 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 he'll give me a little mercy and a little grace, you know, after I've ran, <clears throat> ran far and rebelling and said, I don't want anything to do with your politics, or I don't want anything to do with your religion, or I don't want anything to do with our family drama, or I don't want anything to do with you. I'm done, you know, whatever it was. Um, you're too conservative, dad, or you're too liberal, dad, or you're too religious, dad, you know, whatever it was, you know, whatever the freaking situation was, he wasn't kicked out. I also think that's interesting. None of these people are kicked out. They're, you know, they're all leaving or being lost, but no, nowhere anyone's kicking them out. Um, So I'll go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. Now, one of the funny things I find about this is I don't know how many times as a teenager, when I did dumb things, how many deals I made with God, you know, um, always flashed in my head that God was going to show me a videos of all the time I drank too much and did something stupid and was like on a toilet begging God to let me survive the night. And if I could just survive the night, I would become the world's greatest preacher. Um, <laughs> and probably after 10 of those nights, God probably was starting to catch on that that wasn't the deal there. But I thought that was the type of thing God wanted from me, you know. Um, I thought that was the type of thing that, you know, the church wanted was me to be a good boy, to be a good person, to, to just straighten up and fly right and make a deal, even if it was a deal that I knew I couldn't fulfill. Um, I remember when I joined the 12-step group and I got, a, I got a, um, a sponsor, and I didn't like the fact of having a sponsor because I thought, oh, well, I'm, this, this might keep me accountable to staying this way, and, and I've been sober for almost, gosh, 26 years now, um, you know, because I was so used to the church thing of like, well, I'll just go in, I'll make a big commitment. And if things don't work out, I'll just split, you know, because um, that was my mindset. You know, that was like, for me, how Christianity worked. You know, it was just like this kind of, you know, you got to make a big spill. You got to make all these promises and all this crap. And to realize like none of that is important. You know, you're accepted just the way you are, not the way you should be. And guess what? You'll never be what you should. So stop shooting on yourself. Um, so he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far away off, his father saw him. You know, and when his father sees him, this is a great part of me is his arms aren't crossed. He's not like... I knew you'd be back. You know, we knew this would happen. What do you want now? You know, what happened? You know, there's no guilt. There's no reminder of failure. There's no, um, um, like, I'm going to make you pay for what you did type of attitude. There's, there's no, I told you so. 
um, there's no annoyance. I mean, could you imagine a life where we reacted to each other in that type of way where you knew you could go somewhere and that forgiveness was going to be, you know, uh, not based on, on, on your deal that you were going to make or the spiel that you were going to give or the ideals that you were going to try to live up to. And, and that's his idea is that I'm going to go and I'm going to repent to my dad. And so his dad sees him coming down, you know, and I guarantee he's probably been practicing this speech, you know, the, the repent, the, the sinner's prayer <laughs> all the way down, all the way to the walk to his father and didn't expect to probably see him standing there straight at the gates. And there's your father. And, you know, for me, I think in that point, I probably would have been running with my plan and been like, no, 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 listen, 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 just, just hear me out, hear me out, hear me out, you know, uh, just hear me. Um, but something really beautiful happens. Something really amazing happens. Amazing grace, if you will. Um, but when it came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hand? Oh, no, no, sorry. So he set off, went to his father. But while he's still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. You know, I mean, I think that's what, it's easy to overlook that idea, but his father was filled with compassion. He had passion for him. You know, he, 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 he was, oh, there he is. You know, there's my son. And he had compassion for him. It wasn't, you know, well, we're going to send you to rehab for six months and re-education, and then maybe we'll get you back in. It was... He just had this moment of compassion. And I think that's something we miss a lot in religion and, 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 and especially Christianity. That's really only people I can speak to is this idea of, um, you know, if you are a parent, you know, how could you not have compassion for your kids, you know? I mean, I get it why, you know, even parents of serial killers still love their children and have compassion for them and visit them and care for them and love them and, and, and are obviously heartbroken for everything that happened. But, you know what I mean? You, you understand this compassion even greater w when you're a parent, you know? And um, it's sad that we've allowed uh, this faith called Christianity to, do, to cause us to be so... Um, you know, like, so self-righteous that, you know, and so judgmental uh, that, you know, you would think that the, the, you know, the dad would be like, well, are you still, are you still gay? Are you still a homosexual? Are you still this? Are you still doing drugs? You know what I mean? You wouldn't think of this compassion. You know, Christians aren't known for their love for one another, as Jesus said we would be. You know, Christians aren't really known for being very compassionate to each other. I mean, heck, I mean, look how we treat each other when we just have different politics, much less sin issues or failure issues or things like that. You know, and I've seen what happens when people fail in the church and when people make mistakes. You know, compassion is not the first place people go. Turning on the lamp and searching for the lost person isn't the first place they go. Leaving the 99 other, no, they're making sure that 99 are happy. And then they're gonna see if the 99 are gonna be happy if we bring the one back. And we should bring the one back, but, you know, we want to make sure the 99 happy because we don't want 99, we don't want any of you to leave, you know, because we want to have the majority. We want to have the mega church. We want to have the big denomination. We want to have the big, you know, movement. So, you know, if you don't want this one person back, you know, we get it. You know, maybe we could, you know, let them vault that sheep volunteer as a volunteer sheep, but not be a real sheep. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, you know, that's kind of the concepts that we have a lot 
in the church, within work. and So to me, the church is no different than any other group or any other thing, like a job. It's like a job that you don't get paid for. You know, and they're, oh, but in the end, you get paid the greatest reward, you know. But we treat people like they're bad employees. We treat family like they're, they're, they're employees that we could never hire again. But that, that's not how the, the system works within the body of Christ. That's not how it's worked. We're not supposed to act like a corporation. We're not supposed to act like a damn business. You know, I mean, I remember sitting in this mega church helping them do a do this. Um, uh, we were doing a music festival. I was helping them do a music festival and I was helping them do their underground stage. But I mean, how many times they mentioned like, well, is that what IBM would do? Well, how does IBM, what would, you know, I mean, they're just like different mega companies at the time. Like, well, what, you know, I, even my friend who worked for the church got in trouble because he brought his dog in and they're like, you know, do you think the people at, you know, Apple would let them bring, well, Apple would probably do it, but they said some Xerox or some crazy company were like, what do you think they would allow their uh, employees to bring dogs over to the thing? I mean, it's this idea like we've been told we're supposed to be these corporations. And like, no, we're supposed to be like these wanderers who are looking for lost people, loving people, uh, and, and, and also confronting the religious people who do set up the country club situation and explaining to them why we are these wanderers looking for lost people and trying to help them and encourage them and love them. You know, we're the ones who are supposed to be standing up to the church. That is your job if you're a follower of Christianity and you see the church becoming a, a, uh, a club, a social club or a conservative club or the Young Republicans Club or the, the, the you know, Southern Democrats Club or whatever. You know what I mean? Like if you see that happening, we're supposed to go, hey, we're not a club. You know? I mean, when that guy who wrote I Kissed Dating Goodbye came back and, every, and he was like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have written that book. I, uh, you know, everybody's like, it's too late, damage done, damage done. That's not how you start a movement, one. You would never do a movement that way because you want to have people in a movement. But two, that's not Christianity. Too late is not grace. Um, unfortunately, I think with some people reject the, the Apostle Paul's writings because of a few really bad things that were said in his name. I feel like we lose the concept of grace in a really beautiful way, and I think we have to have more grace in the church. And it's sad to me to see the people on, uh, on the left and the progressives not practicing grace so radically as they have it. You know, I mean, to me, I wish the Lutherans were just showing us all how to, like, freaking show grace, you know, because um, that's what we're called to do is this radical grace, this amazing grace, this, this freaking, you know, grace that just won't quit. You know, and then when we see an issue, we don't worry about what the 99 think. If the 99 are following a concept that does not cover the grace as anarchy, then we have to say, well, then this is not what we're called to do. And we have to speak truth to them. And we have to start telling parables. I mean, like Peter Rollins, he's told like 500 parables. If you should watch him, subscribe to him at all on, on uh, any of his Instagram stuff. But, you know, it's like it's, it's time for us to sit down and have the tough conversation, you know. And, and I find it hard. I find it's not easy. It's not easy to sit down with these groups. I, I've sat down with very conservative groups to explain to them why the way they treat LGBTQ people is wrong. And they're very, we have everything together. We're, we're righteous, you know, and they feel righteous even, you know, they, they look good, you know, and you think, well, maybe I am the rad, bad one, you know, uh, but that's not the way it is. You know, and then trying to speak to progressives, you know, like, oh, you know, shit, you know, 
people get mad at me because they're like, oh, white cis male coming in here to tell me how I'm supposed to run things and how I'm not supposed to be heard by people. I'm going like, shit, that's not what I'm trying to do. But that's the situation that we find ourselves in is this tough situation where we're having almost impossible time explaining grace. That's why we need more people to be in this situation so we can be like, hey, listen, they're not going to take this from me. But maybe you could go in and say like, hey, this is turning into a country club. Hey, this is turning into like a gang. You know, this is, you know, there's all these rules and regulations, you know, that who's in and who's out. You know, like what, what's that all about? You know, like how is that Christ? I mean, I would say if, you know, one of, I think we do it every year, and I might start doing it twice a year is the book of Galatians, is one of the, I think it's one of the best explanations of how the Apostle Paul would have handled our political divide in this country today. I really think that's how he would have spoken truth to us to this day. And so, and what I love here, let's finish the story, and then I'll tell you what I love here, okay? Are you with me? I'm, I'm getting excited if you can't tell. Um, but while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And then it goes, in 22 though, the beginning of 22 is my favorite here. It goes, but, but. And so what is this but about to happen? Is he about to go, but his father was like, oh wait, you really screwed up. You know, you, we, we don't have half the land we used to have. You know, we, we're, we don't have the finances we used to have. You know, it doesn't say any of those things. It's like you've made me look like a fool in front of the community. Father doesn't say any of that. And so this but, as he's in the middle of this speech of repentance, this, this let's make a deal and say, I'm sorry, because that's what we all want. We all want to be someone to say, oh, I'm sorry, I've screwed up your life because we feel like there's closure. And anybody who's had a broken heart knows that closure really never comes. Um, but the father said to his slaves, which that's a whole other story for us to tackle another day. <laughs> Quickly, bring out the robe the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf, kill it, and let us celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. I have a feeling that some of the Pharisees upon hearing this story and maybe even some of the people who Jesus was sitting with like the tax collectors and stuff all probably started to snicker at this point probably started to laugh because that's not human nature. That's not wisdom. That's not following law. That's, that's anarchy. Jesus, one, you shouldn't be calling tax collectors to be your disciples, you know, or zealots because they want to kill them. They want to kill the tax collectors. You know, Jesus, you're hanging out with the wrong people. And now you're telling these stories that don't sound very real. Like this kid needs to be held accountable. The son you know, the dad should at least like put him over his knee and bring out the cat and nine tail. You know, this doesn't make a lot of sense, Jesus. Like, who does this Jesus think he is? He thinks he's the son of God, obviously, and telling us that we have to like, like this is how the, the kingdom of God works, is, is forgiving people when they've really just screwed up and cost this guy half of everything he's ever earned and worked for. This is, you know, it's, Jesus is not practicing capitalism. I'm sorry to my capitalist-loving friends. Um, Jesus is saying, it's not about the bottom line. 
You know, and I'm sure a lot of people are thinking that in their head. Well, what about that? You know, not just about the religious implications, but the fact that he's taken half of his father's fortune and just gotten rid of it. And now the father's opening his arms saying, welcome in. Doesn't give a damn about the bottom line. And that why we often worry about the 99 isn't because we're worried that God's going to hit us over our head. It's that we're worried that the 99 are going to stop giving money. We're worried that the 99 are going to stop and hurt our fame or our fortune or our good, our good reputation. And we need that 99 to keep us going so we can have the big facilities and look like God approves because we'd rather have it look like God approves of us rather than doing things that God's called us to do. We'd rather look like we're in God's favor than to walk within God's favor by showing God's favor to other people. Does that make sense? Like that's why the 99, that's why you, know, you look for the lost coin, you know, those other coins are like, hey, we're in the wallet. We can still have a good time. <laughs> Maybe there's capitalism in that story. Um, <laughs> but <coughs> and that's why Jesus had to change this one. He's like, oh, man, they're going to read this 2,000 years ago when capitalism takes over. I better write in another part. Better tell another story. Um, you know, I was kicked out of Christian schools for, for smoking at McDonald's. I wasn't even at school, you know. And then I dyed my hair and they sent me home and it was, you don't, you don't have the first academy, you know, you don't have what it takes to be a part of the first academy and you represent us. And when you're out there, you're a representative of us. Have you ever been told that, like, of a church? Well, when you're out there, you represent the church, you know. Um, and I get it because when I first started ministry, I was worried about the people who came to my church because I knew they were going to bars and doing things. I was like, oh my God, people are going to see them and think I'm just... That it's like I somehow was a puppet master or something, but it's just not doesn't work like that. But that's where legalism creeps in with that insecurity and those things, and also that idea of the capitalism where it goes, we've got to have more, more people, more things, more that. And this is a complete anti-capitalist idea of saying, who cares about someone, your fortune? Who cares about the 99? You got to get the one. There's going to be real rejoicing over one than the 99. We're going to be happier over the one person than over the 99 who don't need it. Like all these good people, I'm still going to be happier over this one person. What is it saying to us is deliver good news. And to me, the good news isn't, have you heard Jesus died for your sins? To me, that's not the good news. For me, the good news is just going like, hey, you're accepted. I don't agree with you. Matter of fact, sometimes I think you're an outright horrific person, but I think we're, you're important and we should have a conversation because you're a human being. And you know what? You probably think I'm a horrific person. So let's sit down and hear why we think each other's bad. Um... So they celebrate. They throw a party for this no good son. And that would be the same thing I think I would do for my children. Um, I love my kids so much. I just, uh, you say, well, it's easier. But when you've been rejected by your parents, when you've been hurt by family members, when you've been, you know, you, you, you start to go, oh. You start to live differently. And I think in some ways that's why we, when the Bible talks about being grateful for our suffering, is, is 
is sometimes our suffering is, helps us to love other people more, helps us to find that sheep and be a little bit more compassionate, helps us when we see the prodigal coming down the road to have more compassion than anger or upsetness or worrying about our own stuff or our own ideals or our own situation, loving others, putting others ahead of ourselves. And that's a part I really like about the Bible. But I'll tell you what, it's also a part I don't like about the Bible um, because it hurts and a lot of people don't give a damn. And a lot of people are really, you know, I mean, it's generally we're going to be self-centered. It's understandable because we're human beings and we're all in our minds. But, but it's a really hard part of what we do, our work. It's, it's, it's really tough, you know, to be, try to be kind. And I don't always do it. So they began to celebrate. They began this big party. Now, of course, we know this part happens, and we'll just look at it in a second. Um, it's funny how both of these stories is Jesus spending time with the wrong folks or the wrong folks being let back in or you know, and then how, how Paul took it to another level is where, you know, people were mad at him for being the wrong folks, and then people were mad at Paul for trying to get the wrong folks and the other wrong folks and all the wrong folks to come together to be the right folks. And it was almost as though he's like, we can't be the right folks unless all the wrong folks are together, and two wrongs are the only thing that make a right. See, two wrongs do make a right. Um <laughs> Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came up, he approached the house, and he heard music and dancing. He called to one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. You know, it wasn't like his son, he knew his brother wasn't on a safari, you know, um, <clears throat> or off to war. His brother was an ungrateful bastard who just wanted everything and didn't want to be at home anymore. Um, then he became angry and refused to go in. Now, naturally so, I think we almost all of us would feel that way at first. I think a lot of us feel that way when we see people not get what we feel like they deserve. You know, um, there's probably a lot of people we resent and we see like we feel like they're just untouchable. Like, you know, people used to get really mad at Bill Clinton and call him Slick Willie. You know what I mean? And then Trump was like, I could shoot people in the street and people would still like me. So you got both of these, you got these politicians who are like, I'm untouchable. I don't have to pay any price. Isn't this great? <laughs> um, you know, and, um, but it's funny too, is that my, my dad used to say that my mom was called unsinkable Molly Brown because she loved people so much. She just loved, chose love and never let people sink her. Anyhow, then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and begged and pled with him. But he answered to his father, now listen to this, okay? And it says, listen, but listen. For all these years, I have been working like a slave for you, the son says. And I have never disobeyed you. Commands, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. Now, one of the things I, I one time heard a, a speaker, uh, Calvin, a really very conservative Calvin speaker spoke on this talk, but he actually thought he did a pretty good job. Um, with it was he was saying like you know his idea this was like it's not about both good works and bad works he said can separate us from from the the ground of being or God or, or whatever the term you want to use or from grace you know good works and bad works both kind of fight the idea of grace like I'm too bad for grace I'm too good for grace I don't need it <laughs> no thanks 
it won't work. It's too much, you know, <laughs> I've done too much. But both of these things separate us. Good and bad separate us from grace. And so it's like legalism almost lives in both ways. You know, it's always tricking us going like, oh, you're just too bad. You, you know, you can't live up to the law. And the law is going like, man, you're just too good. You don't need grace. Grace is for other people, you know. And, you know, you've worked really hard, you know, and you've really done a good job. I mean, you don't even need grace at this point. You know, that's this idea that we have. And I feel like that's what the son, the son's like, man, I've done everything. And so this is what another thing we have to fight this human nature. I think we see a lot of human nature in, in, in this, just this story alone of both the brother, both brothers, is this idea of you followed the rules. You did what you were supposed to. And if you think about it, when I would go through the book of Galatians every is the Galatians is just a bigger story of one side that seems to be the prodigal group. And, you know, the Galatians, the Gauls, the prodigals, and then the good kids, you know, the good son is the fair, you know, the Judaizers and the Jewish community, you know, and neither one of them want to come together because they're like, we've done all this and, you know, but we don't want to do that. You know, and, and Paul's trying to be like, hey, let's try to have a tough conversation. Let's try to live a life of sacrifice where we can be around each other. You know, let's allow room for each other's mistakes because if we don't, we're going to destroy each other. And that's what's happening is these brothers, this brother wants to destroy his brother. He doesn't want his brother there. At least he doesn't want his brother being celebrated. I mean, for God's sake, that's not fair. But grace is not fair. Christianity is not fair. I think one of the reasons that Hegel liked, uh, the philosopher Hegel said he was drawn to Christianity is he felt that this, like, this type of irrational love, this love that like, embraced contradiction that didn't always make sense, that was this, this higher love that was there that seemed to make him think it's really, that Christianity really stood out to him. Um goes on to say, never. but when this son of yours came back who has devoured your property, there we come again, property, stuff, things, all about the things, all about the stuff, all about the power, all about the who has more stuff. When he comes back and he's devoured half of our property, he's gone because of this guy. With prostitutes, he says. He's like, basically, he took the, our property and spent it on whores. I mean, dad, wake up. You know, that's what he's saying. And uh, you, feel the, you kill the fatted calf for him. And then father said to him, son, you are always with me. So he's not saying, well, you're bad and you're wrong for being this bastard. <laughs> he says, son, you're with me always. I get it. I've seen what you've done. I love you. I understand you. You know? But we had to celebrate and rejoice because the brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. You know, so when you hear lost and, you know, sometimes the person you want to stay lost is found. Sometimes your enemies are going to get the grace. Sometimes the person who didn't follow all the rules like you did and didn't do the good things are, are going to get grace. And it's going to hurt and it's going to sting. And you can think about this story. You can realize that we live in an unfair world. But where unfairness is, 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 is something for... Unfair, when we see so much in this world that's unfair, is usually suffering. So many people suffering. So I think when we see this type of unfairness, it helps lift others up. Helps them find some grace and forgiveness and gives them... This, you know, what that is, is that's jealousy. That's envy. 
you know, what about us? And um, what about me? You know, um, it's why Paul says focus on your own work, because in some ways, maybe just, you know, hey, you did this right stuff. You're not in that position right now. You know, and who knows what's going to follow that life of decisions. But let's celebrate in that moment, that moment of forgiveness, that moment of grace um, of others, celebrating with others. And, 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 and that's where I think we go back to the hard parts of the Bible where it says, take up your cross daily, die to your flesh. You know, those type of things come in and really challenge us is that's where we're going to be challenged. You know, the stuff I was told not to and that all the dying to flesh was growing up doesn't have anything to do with loving other people. But now what I realize is it's just, hey, you might be a part of the 99 when that one, you know, make sure you're one of those people in the 99 that's bringing the one person in. You know, you might be in there. You might be the good brother and have all the stuff, you know. Um, but try to relate to the dad a little bit as well. Um, you know, so anyway, that's my straight telling of the three of my favorite parables that Jesus told for, you know, literally as he's just sitting talking with all of his bad friends, <laughs> all his tax collectors and all of his prostitute friends and all this, and he even uses them in the story, and, and sharing with the religious leaders. This is Jesus sharing with religious leaders saying, this is what we're called to do. This is radical grace. This is radical inclusion. This is you are accepted. This is, the, you know, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. This is all of that here in the story and put out for you. You know, things have changed. It's not about what you do or what you don't do. It's about being accepted and being loved. And not just about that, but looking out for those who don't feel accepted and loved and helping them feel that acceptance and love and that grace. And that's just a small part of it. You know, it's just a small part of the work we do, you know. Uh, Safe House is having their 40-year anniversary, and, and, and they're a homeless uh, ministry in, in, in Atlanta, Georgia. They're about to have their 40-year anniversary, and I was a part of there and got to work there for a long time. And I think about the work that they do as well and how vital it is to help people get their lives, you know, get back and help them find jobs and, and to get homes to live and help you know, change laws that are unjust towards the homeless and things like that. You know, I mean, there's so much we can do. So... You know, maybe grace isn't your strong point, and you're like, I can't, I'm not going to be able to find these, you know, my enemies and tell them I love them. But I don't think, you know, uh, maybe go volunteer at, at Safe House and, and see where your where that takes your heart and your life, you know, because the position that a lot of those people are in are, are they didn't have a they didn't have the father who celebrated. They had the father who who said never come back and never speak to me again, or the mother, or whatever. So that's today's talk. And uh, I think it sticks with the message of, of revolution. I'm really surprised how biblically centered our message continues to be and how I really feel that this is it, 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 to be a church where people are often condemn our church for not being what it should be or that we love the wrong people or do all that. But I'd say we're in the right company and we're doing the right thing. Um, so I love you all. I hope you have a great week. I will see you next week. And... Um, Remember to, you know, if you want to help out, you can tell your friends to uh, ask them to subscribe to our YouTube channel and check out what we do here. Um, and if uh, you can, you can go to revolutionchurch.com and uh, make financial donation. And that really helps a lot. That helps this stay on, it helps us pay our bills, it helps me get paid and, and, and do this for a living and able to think and do other things. I also have a 
another job I'm working on right now, so that helps as well, but we really could use your support. Um, because we, you know, <laughs> sometimes we go too far, you know, not as popular as we used to be. Anyhow, um, love you guys so much. Hope oh, we can continue this work together, and I hope that you take this work with you through the week and that you're able to speak truth uh, to those who may be Pharisees in your own life. So, peace and love, guys. Uh, talk to you next week. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.